0: Okay, so this class today is on Likuti Sichos, and the Rebbe's talks on Parsha Turuma, and it's the fifth Sicha of Parsha Truma. that are in volume 16 of Lakuta Sichos. In those volumes, there are five Sichos for each Parsha, and this is the fifth one from Parsha Turuma. And the Rebbe said this on the week of Vayakil Pekude week, where Parsha Bayakal and Pekude was read in the year of 1977. Now, as an introduction of today's powerful Torah insight, I want to just say a couple of things. Number one is that in this Sikha, it reminds me of what a man in Israel, his name is his name is Rabbi Bloy. Rabbi Bloy in Israel wrote some books, a couple volumes, where he collected all the rules in how Rashi writes his commentary. In other words, the way the Rebbe opened our eyes to see the interesting uh, principle rules in the way Rashi, you know, formed his whole commentary. And he collected over 260 different principle rules in Rashi's commentary on the Chumash. Fascinating. To be able to realize that there's so many principal rules in how he learns. Today we're going to learn a couple of them. One of them being that even if the conclusion of a law of the Torah is so and so, Rashi still interprets his style of interpreting something for the Torah in the literal sense of interpretation. In other words even though the literal sense of understanding something could be so-and-so, which we're going to learn today, Rashi's approach on something very literal. Nevertheless, the halacha conclusion could be out of the category of understanding Torah just on the literal level, because in halacha, you you could understand the Torah in more different kinds of ways, even to conclude halacha, that could be different from the way of understanding something in the simple level. We're also going to learn a principal rule in Rashi, that if he quotes something and he tries to give us the understanding of a word and he even uses a French word because he lived in France, that's also going to teach us something very unique, not just that he found a word in French that could interpret the Hebrew word in a way that you could understand, but the fact where he puts that interpretation also is going to teach us a rule that if Rashi translates something in one place with the French interpretation, the other place he doesn't use the French interpretation, that means there's a lesson or or a way of understanding deeper that helps us to understand in this rule. We're also going to find another rule where you're going to see soon that if he quotes in his heading of his commentary, he always quotes uh, words from the Chumash. So if he only quotes Part of the word of the chumash, and not the whole sentence of the word, that also teaches you something too. We're going to learn that. So that's just something interesting about that. We actually in in, in learning principles of Rashi to understand that Rashi is only the literal text interpreter. You also there was a video uh, that's that's online of Rabbi Lau in Israel. He, he's the chief rabbi in Israel. So many years ago, I think it was 1989, he came by to 770 in New York and he, to see the Rebbe. He says there in the, in the meeting that he came because he's buying a new house and he's moving. So he wanted a blessing for the new house. But anyways, while he's there, so he t- tells the Rebbe that he's working on a book and it, part of his thing is in his book is he's writing an essay that during the Intifada, he says that if somebody who's a minor who throws a rock or other dangerous things at somebody else that they're deemed to be a murder and punished and punished, you know, to the point where they are not around anymore. So he was collecting different information and in the conversation with the Rebbe, he says, "Well, even even Rashi says so and so." So the Rebbe says, "Well, don't you know, as a rabbi, that Rashi is not a halachic authority ruler? Rashi only interprets things." on the literal sense of the verse. So in other words, he was telling him, if you want a source to prove for a a concluding Jewish law, for that you can't say, oh, Rashi says this and this. It's a different goal of what different interpreters try to explain us in the Torah. And just interesting, so you're going to see here this fascinating thing. Now, the, an actual introduction to the theme to understand the talk here well, so the, today's talk is going to be on what it speaks about in today's Parsha Turuma. Today's Parsha and next week's Parsha are called Turuma and Tzava, and they both cover God's commandments through Moshe to the Jews in the desert that we should build a sanctuary, a temple for Hashem. And in today's Parsha, he speaks about the props that are to be built and how they should be built in the temple or then it was called the tabernacle the traveling temple and next week's Parsha, which is the cousin Parsha of today's Parsha, many years we if it's a certain calculations we read them both together and so in in tetzava, next week's it speaks about the garments that were worn in by the high priest in the temple so it all has to do with service in the temple then, in a few weeks, we're going to read the Parsha of Vayakel and Pekude. And Vayakel and Pekude are really total repetitions of today's Parsha. But what it does is, over there it says that the Jews actually did what Moshe passed on to us to do. And this is what we did. We built it. And we go through all the details of what Hashem told us to do. So it's really very similar parshas, And you're going to see something some interesting things. But here's the important preface to the point that we're going to talk today. One of the main props in the temple was the menorah, the candelabra that lit. It had to be built in a certain way, had to be made from certain specific materials, and also had to be hammered out and it had to come from a certain weight and very detailed. The parasha, it's amazing how many verses describes the detail of this candelabra. Now there's two interesting words that are used in the building of this menorah. One is, it says, that the menorah has to be a mixture Miksha means hammered out. That means you don't take parts, different parts to make the menorah. You take one solid piece of gold and you ch- hammer out, you chisel out all the parts until what are you left with? The menorah. You're going to be left with the branches. You're going to be left with, the, with, the, with the, the, the buttons looking gold around it. You're going to be left with flowers, pieces of the gold. But how do you get to make this menorah? You have to chisel it out basically. You hammer it out. So that's going to be one discussion. That it's all made from one solid piece. By hammering out that you're left with the actual menorah. And then we have another word used in the text of the building of the menorah, and that is the amount of weight that the gold had to weigh. In other words, how much, what carat gold, or if you called, whatever you want to call it, you know, the amount of gold, the weight of the gold, it had to be a kikar. A kikar measurement is is approximately the value of 3,000 shekels, that would be around 68.5 kilograms of in weight or in pounds, about 153.5 pounds. That's how heavy this menorah was. And again, it's a one-piece, solid-piece menorah. And so here you have two points. And this is going to be our discussion here today. When you say it's one solid piece and you hammer it out, or whether you say that it has to be one solid weight, the question that the Talmud has, and the Talmud brings two opinions to this in, in an argument, and the argument is regarding the neiros. You're from you. We may be familiar with the word Nair as a candle, neiros candles. In the context of the menorah, there was the candle. And the, which wasn't really a candle; it was a wick with oil. So when we call it the candle, it means the holder that held the oil and the wick. So let's say if you take a, a small cup in your hand, right, and you fill it up with oil and you put a wick in, so this whole little cup is called the neros. It's called the candles, right? It's not a physical candle. That, that's that's what you call. It. Now, the question is. If you have a menorah, let's say a branch, and you have this neros on the top, the question is, when we say that you hammer out this whole piece of gold, does that include also this, the candles? Or maybe the candles is a separate thing, it's not part of the menorah. So, in other words, do you say that the candle the piece, the candle top pieces are part of this one fixture or not? Now, that's you could say when it says hammer it out, so that means hammer out the entire thing. So one opinion in the Talmud says that it means that the Neros was part of it. So when I hammered out, I actually had to hammer out the whole oil. holder, the narrow's itself as well while it was there it it was never a separate piece because he says Miksha is like hammering out one solid piece other opinions say no they say when it says to hammer it out it doesn't mean necessarily that the candles were part of it it could be that you took off you took off these little candles, whole candles you would wash it, clean it Fill it up. Make sure it's all perfect. And then you place it on top of the menorah. But not necessarily does it mean that it's one piece with the menorah. That's one argument. One subject of argument. The Talmud now goes and connects this argument. to And it says that it's connected with another argument regarding the one solid piece of gold. Which really would be the same argument. Do I say I have one solid piece of gold? Now let me start cutting it out. And when I said it it has to be this weight. Does the weight include the weight of of these holders? Remember, the menorah in the temple had six branches on each side and one in the middle. So that's seven branches. Whatever the amount of weight this is, let's say this is even just... I don't know, maybe it's even one kilogram, let's say, each one. Well, in total, that's seven kilograms. Is that part of the kikar, of this one measurement, called the kikar? Or do you say the nearest or not? So the Talmud says that the opinion that says that mikshad has to be made from one solid piece, they're also from the opinion that it also has to be from one solid piece of kikar the opinion that says that the narrows were not part of the chiseled out structure of the menorah, it was a separate piece that was just placed on the top. They say that, well, in that case, it also, the other opinion, it's like the opinion that says that it, the value of the weight of the gold, it does not include those cups on the top. Now, what's the concluding law? if you lived in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, and we're all going to be living in the time of the Beis HaMikdash very shortly, so you want to know this is a curious thing about the Menorah setup. What's the what's the conclusion law? So where would you look for the law? One of the places to look for the concluding law is our beloved Rambam. The Rambam rules in his section of laws of the Beis HaMikdash of the temple, he says like this, that the Menorah, that was made from gold. Which by the way. Not every menorah in the temple was made from gold. If there was a terrible time. And the Jews didn't have money. To be able to have a golden menorah. We were allowed to make the menorah out of other stuff. But if we were able to afford to have it out of menorah, Then out of gold. You have to have it out of gold. Says the Rambam. A manure that's made from gold. It should be all from one kikar. One weight, one value of gold, one solid piece of gold of that amount of weight. Including, says the Rambam, the candles, meaning the candle holder on the top. So part of the Rambam rules, right, like the second opinion, which is Rambam again is the conclusion halacha. He's one of our halachic authorities. So he says that it includes as well the cup holders on it are part of that weight of the kicker. And it should all be, says the Rambam, chiseled out, hammered out from one solid piece. And the candles, the naros on the top, were fixed, were affixed to the menorah, and they were all part of the kikar. So halachically, when it comes to Jewish law, at the end of the day, you want to know. Very nice. We have arguments and discussions, but you got to know how to. What's the bottom line? Bottom line, it's got to be including the candles, should not be a separate piece that you take off to wash it, put it back. No, it should be all part of it and it should be part of the weight. So that's the Talmud with the concluding halacha. Now, says the Rebbe, we have already learned many times that Rashi in his commentary on the Torah, he explains things the way they are explained in the literal content of the Torah. I'll call it Pshat the way how we learn things in the simple interpretation. Don't get, you know, distracted of other ways of learning. The first way of learning Rashi is the simple understanding of text. Even, as we mentioned before, even if it's not fitting with the conclusion of halacha, meaning in this case, even though the Rambam said that the concluding halacha is, that it's all one piece, including the the candles on the top, we're going to see here in a very undisputed and clear way we're going to see here this proof to Rashi's principle, that he sticks with his principle of interpreting things literally, even if it's a contradiction to halacha. Because he says, my job is to teach you the Torah the way it is in the literal. And we're going to see that here in this context. Now, let's rehash, brings the Rebbe, that When the Talmud said, when the Gemara said, that the argument of the candles, whether it has to be made from one solid piece, is connected with the other argument, if it has to be from one solid weight of gold, it's like the Ramban, the Nachmanides said, like he said, the Ramban said, that according to all opinions, you should not bring the weight of the kicker weight only in the menorah itself that it's one piece. In other words, he says that the weight has to be all one, so- the weight has to include the entire menorah. And therefore, the Ramban explains that in the books that, that, that mention about this subject, something very interesting. When you look in today's Parsha, I believe it was in yesterday's Chobesh, where it said that when Hashem said, how to make the menorah, It says that you should also make malchachayim and mahtos as well for the menorah. Now, later we're going to learn Rashi's interpretation of those two words. Malchachayim says Rashi, Rashi's going to learn that what malchachayim means a set of pliers or tongs. Why do you need the tongs? Because if you have the holder for the wicks and the oil, when it starts to burn, you have little schmutz of the oil. So you need a, a set of tongs to pull out the wicks, to clean it up, right? Rash is going to tell us, are small little shovels, like a small little pan, that any ashes that came from there, any dirt that fell off, you could put it on there. So when the when Torah the tells us that you need, you should make as well with the menorah, you should also have malchayim and machtos. It means utensils that are needed for the process of the menorah. But if you say that the entire menorah and including its cups and including everything that's part of the menorah has to be made from one solid piece of, of gold and hammered out, out of one piece, then how do you explain those two words? What do they mean? If it means tongues, obviously tongues is not part of the menorah structure. It's a separate piece. And the, the and the the shovel to collect the ashes is of course also a separate piece. So what do those two words mean? Therefore, the Ramban brings mm-hmm. down from that 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 uh, from a certain safer called the Malachas amishkan. Over there he brings down that those words are not the way Rashi interprets the meaning of it. He says what it means is, is that this little cup on top of the menorah that was chiseled out, was actually had, he says, it means a little uh, kind of like like a round thing that covered it and a little wick was coming out so that no extra dirt falls in and mixes in with the oil. He says, that's what it means in the Torah, Melka It's a whole different <laughs> revolutionary translation to this word. Very different. Because why do they have to come up with this translation? Because if you say that everything, all the parts of the menorah are part of the actual structure of the menorah, then you have to say that the Melka it can't be a tongs. It has to be physically parted, chiseled out. Therefore, he comes. Therefore, they say that it's some kind of you know, a device or, or, you know, covering for this little naris, And then the other word where it says, he says that's a, some kind of pan that goes under that collected any oil that dripped or other stuff that dripped off, that came down. So that's the way he, they translate it. So if you translate the in that kind of way, then yes, you could stick with your translation. That, in your opinion, that the entire hammered out solid one piece also includes the other pieces, which we thought are totally separate pieces. But according to Rashi, Rashi actually does not go with this principle. That the two arguments are linked together. Rashi says, or it seems at least like so far from Rashi, that I'm going to sh- repeat what Rashi's going to tell us here. From Rashi, it seems that you could divide the two arguments. Not that they're connected. He says, when you say hammered out, out of one piece of or one piece of gold, one piece of gold, you're right. Everything has to be made one piece of gold. Even the tongs and... The, the the dustpan, little dustpan, is also part of the menorah. But what do you mean part of the menorah? Not out of one solid piece. It's made from the same weight of the kikar. So you could take, let's just say, 99% of the weight to build the menorah, and the last 1% could use for the other utensils that are needed for the menorah. So Rashi kind of, on one hand, he says, yes, I agree with you. Everything has to be made from the weight, but... I, I I could still say that the other vessels are made from the one weight but not that it's hammered all from into one from one solid piece which is very interesting way to see like that from Rashi. So in other words when you're talking about the weight he said everything has to be from the weight when you're talking about the structure the one thing he goes with the other opinion that no hammering out the whole thing does not necessarily mean hammering it all out into one solid piece. It's possible Therefore, to we could interpret, because Rashi doesn't speak clearly about the little candle holder on the top. So with the, from what Rashi saying, that the vessels like the tongs and the ashtray could be separate, the dustpan, whatever you want to call that little tray, therefore we could deduce from here, what could we deduce? That these little candles on the top are separate. It doesn't have to be hammered out from the same solid piece. It just has to be made from the same weight of gold. But not that it's a physically one piece. Now, says the Rebbe, let's give some logic to Rashi. Yeah. Why does Rashi does say like this? That in on one hand he says it doesn't have to be all one solid piece. On the other hand he says it should be from the one weight. So the Rebbe says, if you look at the Torah verses in the literal sense, we could see Rashi's reason. First of all, those words, the melkachayim and the machta, everywhere where you look in the Tanakh, throughout the entire Bible, we find that whenever it uses those words as a tongs or or this this uh, dustpan tray, it's always understood as a separate utensil, not as one with the fixture itself. So why should it be different here that it's with the fixture? So again, we're using a simple logic. Number 2, when it said in the verse, you should use a kikar zavtar, this kikar weight of gold, of pure gold, you should make this all the vessels should be made with it. What do you mean with it? When it says all the vessels, the menorah with all the vessels. That means everything should be made from the one weight. But it doesn't mean that everything has to be hammered out into one piece. It just means that they were used from one weight. So according to this, what do we see? That Rashi, according to Rashi, the condition that it should be one solid piece is not connected with the idea that it should be from one weight. And therefore, the Neiros on the top, again, according to Rashi, does not need to mean that it's one solid piece with the bottle itself. Now, on first glance, it seems like this. What what do we see? That Rashi holds that the commandment that it should be hammered out of one piece by the menorah. On first glance, you would think that Rashi would hold that the commandment that says that it should be hammered out from one piece would include the the candles. Why do why would I think from somewhere else that Rashi would believe that the candle has to be of one piece? Because on the verse where it says that it should be hammered out, you should hammer out a menorah, that's the words. Miksha te'asa menorah, you should hammer out a menorah. So from there, on those words, Rashi says, hammered out means you're not allowed, hammer it out, right? means you're not allowed to take bunch of pieces, different limbs, he calls it, for the menorah. And then screw them together or weld them together to be attached as one piece. It has to be made from one piece. That's what Rashi clearly says. So maybe we could think from this statement of Rashi that since I'm not allowed to make pieces and then attach them and weld them or you know what I mean to, to to or or screw them together, would I maybe mean? That the candles to begin with have to be part of the one solid piece. Says the Rebbe, if you are more particular in Rashi, I guess the way to say it is, if you read it a little bit slower or a few times, you'll see precisely more clear in Rashi actually that just because Rashi said, you know, i let it take different pieces and weld it together. It does not mean that he holds that the candles were actually One piece with it. Because it's possible we could... From Rashi, if you look at it carefully, what it means is, I'm not allowed to take different pieces and weld it together. But, maybe I'm allowed to take the candle and just place it on the top. I'm not welding it together. I'm not screwing it together. I'm just balancing it right on the top. What's the problem with that? That's actually a very normal thing. I know a lot of women that when they light their Shabbos candles, they don't want the wax and stuff to go into their silver candelabra. So they actually sell a little silver plate that has like a little, you know, indent in the middle for the candle. So they put that plate floats on the top of your candelabra, and then you put your candle into that. And it sits just perfect. Because those little metal trays is is shaped to sit at so I'm just using that as an example. So the same thing here. If this fits nicely into the top holder of the menorah, it's not going to fall. We're not traveling with this menorah. So you just put it down. So when Rashi says you can take different pieces and, and make them stick, you're right. We're not going to do that. But it doesn't mean that Rashi will hold that this it is it cannot be a separate piece and just placed on the top. Maybe Rashi holds it, it's no problem, it could just be placed on the top. So that's a fascinating understanding of Rashi. When you read it slowly, you actually realize that Rashi is of, of the opinion that there's no proof and he doesn't see why. And according to literal translation of the parsha of the Chumash, the candle holder, the candles, these little candle things, was not, chiseled out from one piece. It was two separate pieces and this just sat on the top. Even if you say, like Rashi says, I, from the verse, it seems clear that it's one piece of gold. Yeah, it's but made yes. from one weight. Once there, once there, once there. Now, now, we could understand a little bit more. Since we find that and Rashi himself, it wasn't so clear about the candle. We had to figure out his opinion about the candle holder. If it's, one, if it's made chiseled out the, as like one piece or it could be separate and you put it on the top. And Rashi here also doesn't say, by the way, a very famous words that he says in many other places and throughout the Chumash. Rashi says, many places, when he doesn't know the translation or, or opinion of something, he says, I don't know. The Rebbe once spoke a whole sikh about this. He said that we should learn from Rashi. If somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, you should say, I don't know the answer. <laughs> because look, even Rashi says, I don't know the answer. So sometimes that's the healthier way to say it. It's worse, the Rebbe once said, to make up an answer then the kids will grow older and then they'll see that you made up the answer and they won't be able to re- accept anything from you because they'll see that you made up things. So if you don't know, you say, I don't know. So the fact that Rashi doesn't say here, I don't know, like he says in other places, so we must conclude that in the simple understanding of the verses here, Rashi doesn't need to explain this to us. In other words, it's so self-explanatory from the text of the Chumash, That the candle holders were not one solid piece with the branches. It was a separate piece just placed on top. Where do we see this that it's so obvious that even Rashi doesn't have to tell us this. Rashi doesn't even have to say that I don't know the answer. Why is it so simple? So he explains like this. In the order of making uh, of the Parsha, where it speaks about the instructions to make a menorah first it says in our parsha it says the commandment you should make a golden menorah miksha it should be hammered out Yerecha, the base the 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 spine the, the the stem Gvye, you should have the it should there should be the cup shapes the, the those cone shaped uh, cups that were designed in the menorah You should also have kafterel, the button shapes. You should have prachel, the flower shapes. All should come out of this. Then the the verse gets more specific about the branches with the cup holders, and then it concludes. The buttons, the the branches that come out of that come out, should be all hammered out of one golden piece. And then the parsha continues that you should make the candle, seven candle holders, and you should make the Malkochel machtoseha, which we said was the tongs and the, the, the those trays to collect the the, the dirt the ashes. Right? Should be made all from one weight of kicker of gold, pure gold. And also later on, in two weeks, when we're going to read parsha Vayakel, where it speaks about the actual. Making of the menorah in actuality, not just the commandment, but doing it, it says it in the same order. What do you see from this? That since the commandment well, to make the candle holders, it says it after all the details of making the menorah itself. So you could see from this that in the literal text of the Chumash comes out that the making of the menorah was separate than to the whole, to the body of the menorah. Because otherwise, when it said the, about the body of the menorah, it said, "Right, make the basin, make the make this the stem, the spine, the the, the cup holders, the, the buttons, the flowers." It should have said also the candles on the top, the holders for the oil. The fact that that comes in a verse or two later teaches you that it was separate from the actual body of the menorah itself. And then you, it even fits better to translate that the was also the way we said before, what they mean is the separate items. So that's one proof in the literal text, just to order the way the Torah actually says it, that the candle holders have mentioned it's separate to the, all the other details of the menorah itself. Another proof in the literal text of the Chumash that the candle holders were a separate item of the menorah, because later in Parsha over there, it says that we built the whole thing. Then it says we brought the menorah to Moshe. Moshe is the one that told us how to do it. So all the craftsmen got to work. Everybody donated their gold and everything, right? The women donated their gold to surpass the amounts that the men gave and so on. Anyway, eventually we took the menorah that we finished and we brought it to Moses to look at it or to use it, right? to, bring it to, to use to bring it to the temple. Now, when it says we brought the menorah and the candles, it says, One second. If the candles is part of the menorah, if it's all part of it as one piece, just say, they brought to Moshe the menorah. I know that the top candle is with it. The nearest are with it. But the fact that the verse says they brought the menorah and they brought the candle holders, that tells you very clearly that the candle holders were separate from the menorah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to mention it separately. So that's the second proof in the literal text that you must say that the candle holders are separate. Now, based on this, that according to Rashi, in the simple level of interpreting Torah, the candles were not part of the chiseled out one piece, we'll be able to explain a few fascinating <laughs> details or nuances, however you want to call it, in, in and questions that every person that learns Chumash will have these questions on something that Rashi says in the Parsha Vayakel. In the, again, today's Parsha, let's re- rephrase this, today's Parsha speaks about the commandment, the instructions of doing it. In Parsha Vayakel, it specifies what what we did, that we did, it, and we follow, it tells us, I did this, 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 all the steps that he asked us, and we did them all. Now, over there, where it speaks about the actual work, Look at the verse there. It says like this. Think of this verse like this. It says they made the et menorahs They made the lighting for the candelabra, the menorah, the and they made the vessels, meaning obviously the Machto machtosel, the tongs and all that stuff, right? The extra stuff, and they made the candle holders. Neroseha. Now, Rashi and Parsha Vayakil says like this. He says, You know what means Neroseha? Well, we all think we know because we already learned today's Parsha. But in Parsha Vayakil, Rashi says, almost similar to us here, but then he says, I want you to know what Seha is. Nerese is Lutzinish Belaz. Meaning in French, "neroseha" means "lotzinish." I don't know who anybody here knows French, but the Rebbe lived in France for many years. He clearly was an expert in in, in the French, and he we know that the Rebbe wrote letters in French and so on. There, are, there are, today they have I think almost a full book of letters he answered to people in French, actually. Later years, the Rebbe said I'm sending you a letter in Hebrew because my secondaries are not capable of writing it in French. So he sent it in Hebrew because he would dictate the letters. But many that he wrote himself was in French. So anyway, so Rashi says that if you want to know what Nero Roseha is, it means Lotzinish in French. Soon, the Rebbe is going to tell us what Lotzinish means in French. But in simple understanding, I'll tell it to you now. He's going to tell us Lotzinish means light. Like to light up something. So maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, but that's the way it's written here. He brings down on the footnote um, other prints of Rashi, of earlier uh, prints that had it Lotzish, not Lotzinish. But an hour printing Rashi books Chumash books that we have today all over it's almost always Lutzinish okay not not low uh, Lutzish but it's Lutzinish now then Rashi says it means excuse me Rabbi could you spell it I speak French I could only spell it for you in Hebrew letters okay because in French light is Lumiere L U M I E R E. So the, the so the, there's actually a a it's good to know this this principal rule. Whenever Rashi translates something in French, it's it's called old French. No, no, <laughs> seriously, ser- yeah, it's old French. Probably you could look it up because French no, modern. It's okay. It's okay. It's forget it. The point is that it's it it is it's, uh modernized, I guess. Probably we could say, you know, it's like people say, you know, in in Israel we speak Hebrew, but it's modern Hebrew. It, that's really modern Hebrew. It's not the Hebrew like the way it's in the Torah. Okay, okay, Anyways, yeah, let's move yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, got it. So he says that that this Lucinish in in old French is the and it's and it's the jugs that hold the oils and the uh, um, uh, wicks that were in it now the Rebbe says what's going on over here in our Parsha Truma where's the first place it talks about the menorah because that's where Moses tells people right that's where Moshe tells people the Jews how to what the items you have to make in our Parsha Rashi says you know what means Ne'eraseha Naraseha means the jugs of the oil and the wicks but he doesn't say in our Parsha What happened? All of a sudden, in Parsha Vayakel, when you say the second time, you say the words, over there, Rashi says, you should know it's also in French, you have Lotzinish. What happened? What was different than in today's Parsha? And even a stronger question is, that in Parsha Vayakel coming up, over there, Rashi, right in the beginning of the Parsha, says a rule. He says that, most of the commentary explaining the words of what's going on over here, I already explained it in Parsha Teruma and Tetzava. That's why if you look in a Chumash, in Parsha Vayakal and Pakude coming up, there's very little Rashi's there. Because he already explained us all that stuff in today's Parsha. When Moshe commanded it, so Rashi filled it in. So you already know what things mean. So one second. If the majority of Rashi's interpretation on these, this context here, isn't the first time it's mentioned in today's parsha? why does he wait to tell you that it means Lucinish in French, in old French, only later in Vayaka? And so if you think about this, it totally seems like out of place. Why does Rashi rely uh, everywhere else that you, are, you know the meaning for parsha Truma, but no, this you don't know probably, so I'm going to tell it to you now. He should have told us earlier. Number three, a third question. Why does Rashi add at all this thingish in French? In old French. Seemingly you could ask the question, like in Hebrew, we say Mimanashak. You know, like either way, you're gonna learn that something doesn't make sense that he's mentioning this at all. If the meaning of Bazichin, the jugs, it's not enough, and you need to tell me that there's a laws, there's another language that will help you to understand what this means, Rashi should have brought it down in the earlier meaning when he said Neiros the first time, and if you don't need to tell it to me, you should have not have told it to me here either so the second question is, why does he have to repeat at all his commentary, and the third question is, why does he have to now tell me this that it's also in Allah in this old French says the Rebbe and this is a fascinating point only after we, were, we are able to appreciate Rashi's style of only translating things in the literal sense, and even if he doesn't translate it because it means it's so obvious that that's what it is. And in our case, that the candles, with the meaning the, thing, the, 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 the holder that had the oil and the wick actually in it, was not part of the structure itself. Then we're going to be able to understand the answer to this question of why in Vayakal he has to tell us better the meaning of naros and add me this French word. But in order to understand that, we have to understand one more question, and he says like this: We already learned many times that if there's an extra letter in Rashi, it's there's a reason. Everything is precise in Rashi, and it's not just in words, but it's even in this content. And even words that he quotes from the verse, from the actual Torah verse, and he said, "I'm going to explain this word." He's very precise which words he takes. Now, here you're going to see a very um, how do you say this? A, a, a um, boilet. It sticks out tremendously here, a point, and you could see this idea that Rashi misses. A word in the verse and it must be for a purpose for a reason because look the verse said three things it said when they brought to Moses they brought s ke leha they brought the vessels with the tongs and the scoopers the scoops but it says v es so Rashi said what does it mean v- and the Vessels. Now you have to remember something. The word "v's," "v's" really all it means is is the or and. Okay. I actually, as somebody in our community once bought me a book. A sefer. That the whole book explains every time it says S in the Torah what it means. Amazing to figure that out. Right. S always teaches you an additional insight. It's including something more. You know there's the famous one. That says you should honor your father and you should honor your mother. What's the kabet What's the s again? Again, it says vs in Hebrew. So the sages deduce from there that it's to include another category of honoring. Who? Your oldest brother or your oldest sibling. Okay, Chassidah says that's because the, the the all the energy of the parents go through the firstborn child and so on. Point is that the S always teaches you an additional information. So here, when it says the S K L and its vessels, Rashi said it means and what? It's including the tongs and its scoopers. Then he says candles, lutzinish. It means lutzinish so on. But one second, when he quoted the verse. For the candles, he doesn't say v's. And then the third word, when it says v's, shemin amar, and the oil of that gave light, Rashi explains what this means that you need to have a, a scholarly man, a scholarly person there to know how much the oil and so on, whatever, the process of that. But there he does quote the word v's. So what happened? By the word He he drops, he doesn't quote the word v's from the verse. So you see something very clear that sticks out. So, in other words, here's another principal rule of Rashi. When he doesn't quote the same quote, a verse, vs. Kela, vs. Shemin, and when it comes to Nero's, he just says, Nero's doesn't say vs. That also teaches you something that he's trying to teach you something. Based on what we said before, that the candle holders are not part of the thing, we can understand all of this. Since, according to Rashi, the candles is not part of the menorah, we must say, That when the verse says, Kikar Yasa Oso, you should use this amount of weight of gold you should make from it, all the vessels, what it means is, the candles were not included in it. But when it says all the vessels, it means all the parts to the menorah, even the candles. So now, when we come to Parsha Vayakel, where the verse says ha'mar, Hamor, VesKela, VesNares," in other words, and the candelabra and its vessels and the candle, we could ask a question: since it says the candelabra and all its vessels, one second, don't I know when you say the vessels? Obviously, it means also the candle, the candle holders. Why does the verse have to say the candles holder separately? If the candle holder is not part of the menorah, the the oil holder is separate. So you're telling me all the vessels, that means this, the scooper and the the, the tongs. So why do you have to tell me this separately? I know this is part of the vessels. So in order to answer this, Rashi says this, Kela, when it says and all the vessels, what does it mean specifically the tongs and the scoopers? Right after that, he says, Nehru said the candle and doesn't say the word Ves. Why does he skip the word Ves with an intention to show us that you have to learn the verse as if it would only say candles without the word Ves to teach you that the candles is a detail in the vessels. That means that that the understanding of the verses when it says all its vessels they are, what are the vessels, the simple understanding, meaning the tongs, scoopers, and the candle holders. One second, says the Rebbe, is that the reason why Rashi skipped the S, just to teach you that the, the, the candles is part of all the vessels? One second, but the verse did say the word candle separately. Why does the verse mention it? Rashi is skipping the word the S to teach you that it's, the candles is part of the vessels. But if it's part of it, why do you have to mention the candle separately? Ah, says Rashi, Lutzinish Belaz. In Old French, you know what candles is? It means Lutzinish. The root of the word Lutzinish means make light. The reason why the candles were called make light is like Rashi continues. These cup holders that held the oil and the wicks that were put into it, that means because in this little candle holder that holds the oil and the wicks it expresses the entire intention of the entire menorah purpose what's the purpose of the whole menorah period? for the light what's the goal? the light and since the candles, the main function is for the for the the main function of the whole menorah expresses itself out only when you have the top part that's holding the the oil and the wicks and its lighting. It's understood from here why the verse will mention all vessels, and it specifies the candle because the whole menorah is all about the candles. In another Sikha, by the way, I'll just add this this piece here. In another sikha, the Rebbe quotes from the Rambam and the Gemara that says, the menorah candelabra in the temple was not because we needed to see around. It wasn't there to give you physical light. It was there to spread a light to the rest of the world. And there's even a proof from this in the Haftorah that we read uh, that speaks about the the, the structure and the... the uh, The architectural design that Hashem says in a prophecy. How he wants the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim to be built. Over there it says that the walls of the Beis HaMikdash had windows. And it says that the windows were shkufim va'atumim. Which means in the old days when you had thick walls. How did you get light into your house? They made a hole in the wall. The outside was narrower and as the thickness of the wall came into your house, it widened. So the, the, the opening widened. Why? Wide. So when the sun is coming from outside, it goes through the opening and then it spreads all over into your house much more because it spread like it, the wall, op- it, it, the, the opening was much wider on the inside. It says in the Haftira that the windows of the base of Miknush were the opposite. Inside, was narrow, and the outside was wide. Again, for the same purpose. Because the whole purpose of the candle labra in the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash was to give the light to the rest of the world. Hence, the famous Gemara also brought elsewhere that if the Goyim, the nations of the world, would have only understood how beneficial the temple was. For them, they would have stood outside and guarded it and never let it to be destroyed. Because ultimately, that's the key and the goal of the whole Menorah is to bring the warmth and the light to the entire world. We could also say, Yesh Leimer, I think we could say, we could easily add that this is also the same idea when a woman lights Shabbos candles. That the candles that you light in your home is a blessing for your entire home, not just in the room that you light it. As a matter of fact, halachically, you're not allowed to use the light from your Shabbos candles to help you to read or to look at to to, to read something because you may touch it. You may you may touch it on Shabbos. It's a problem. But the point is, if it was there for you light to read, you would have. It would have been a different story. The point is, it's a light for the entire house and your entire town and city and for the entire world. So this is the concluding of this, today's sikha